Hi there, this is Tara from Faith in Every Day. Welcome to our second podcast. Today we're going to talk about why it is that we cannot just live by faith alone and why our belief in God cannot be held up just by faith. Unfortunately, there has been confusion on this in the Christian realm when, yes, you need to have faith, but people are taking that as you don't need to have a reason or an intellectual reason why you believe in God and believe in Jesus, that you just need to live by faith and that should be enough for you. Well, to be honest with you, that's not enough for a lot of people and it shouldn't be. We need to be making rational decisions on our faith to make sure we're making the right choice. And a lot of times I hear from skeptics why they can't believe in God or Jesus Christ as his son are based upon the rationale of it all. It doesn't seem possible or even make sense to them that a God exists and that he sent his son to die for our sins. It seems like a fairy tale or nice moral stories or just downright irrational. Some have a hard time believing just by faith as Christians for centuries have touted. When it doesn't make any sense, how in the world are they supposed to have faith in it? It's understandable why people don't believe in God or Jesus if the only answer people give them are, well, you just gotta have faith. That is as irrational and irresponsible on our part as Christians as telling atheists to jump off a cliff and have faith that they will land on the other side. Would you do that? Without first assessing to see the distance between the cliffs, having faith relies on the knowledge that what you have faith in is reliable and truthful. And you can't gain that knowledge just by faith. And God doesn't want you to. Mark 12, 28 through 32 says, One of the teachers of law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus was giving them a good answer. He asked them, Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love your Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love thy neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all of your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. God doesn't want us to love him blindly and without a full trust in him. He created our minds to seek this understanding, and he wants us to use it to seek the truth of him. Without faith, based on truth, we would not be able to live our lives confidently. We would sway wherever the common trend of belief blew us and wouldn't have a solid and committed foothold. And this is a problem, because God seeks 100% commitment, which cannot be reached without a trust and a knowledge that he not only is there, but he is never changing and ever faithful and real. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Well, how can we be without excuse? With so many faiths pulling us in all directions, how do we know Christianity is rational and true? Because God gave us evidence, real cold, hard evidence, evidence that when actually studied completely, tips the scale toward God being the only way. He did nothing in secret, and he used even secular historians throughout all time to give it to us. For example, 
Historians, non-Christians, and Christian historians alike conclude that we know without a doubt that Jesus was in fact a real person. So what, right? He was a real person. That doesn't mean he was God's son or was even resurrected. You're absolutely right. It doesn't mean those things. However, the evidence to Jesus being the son of God and resurrecting from the dead far outweighs any other possibilities beyond a shadow of a doubt. Let me elaborate. Jesus was a real man, we know. He was born of a virgin. Eh, debatable. He performed miraculous things, healing, demon expelling, feeding four, five thousand people with only enough food for the disciples. All of those things you can refute. However, Jesus forgave sins and he raised people from the dead. And not only 20 minutes from the dead where he could perform CPR, but from weeks, bodies with rotting, smelling flesh. Things only God could do. No prophet could do these things, especially forgive sins. That is blasphemous. So if he wasn't God, he was a blasphemer? I have a really hard time believing that from a man who was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights without giving in once. Not even the prophets could do that. Some of the other arguments against Christianity revolve around the rationality of the resurrection. A basis in Christian faith without the resurrection, Christianity wouldn't hold hope that it does and most certainly would not be true. So how do we know that the resurrection is true? Let me walk you through the events leading up to and after the resurrection. In Luke 22:44, it explains that right before being taken into custody, Jesus was praying with so much stress that it caused him to sweat blood, which is a real condition called hematidrosis. After he was arrested, he was mocked and beaten all night long. When he was sentenced to death, they placed a crown of thorns that they dug into his head. Then they took a staff and beat his head with it again and again, mocking him, having him try to prophesy who was beating him. Before he was severely beaten, Pilate had him flogged. Now, flogging doesn't happen today. So let me give you a little bit of the in-depth detail. So the Romans first stripped the victim and tied his hands to a post above his head. The whip was made with several pieces of leather with pieces of bone and lead embedded near the ends. Two men, one on each side of the victim, usually did the flogging. The Jews usually set a maximum at 40 stripes, but the Romans didn't have that limitation at all. So the heavy whip was brought down again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, legs. At first, the heavy thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they get deeper, producing first an oozing of blood from capillaries, veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial blood from vessels that underlie the muscles. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons. Imagine that, skin in ribbons hanging off Jesus' body. And the entire area is unrecognizable. And this is from C. Truman Davis, The Crucifixion of Jesus, The Passion of Christ from a Medical Point of View. You can check it out for yourself. Majority of the time, Roman flogging victims didn't survive. So the fact that Jesus survived was actually a miracle in itself. And once all this was done, since he was still alive, he was offered some wine vinegar with mirth that was usually used as a painkiller, but he refused it. Then they laid him on the cross and nailed him to it. They hammered nine-inch nails into his wrists, not his hands like most people think. 
because his hands would rip away from the cross because of how much weight is on them, so they put them in the wrist, but the wrist was still considered part of the hand. His arms were nailed so far from his feet and far from each other that he had to press his open, torn back against the wood to push up just to take one breath. Eventually, he'd be way too weak to even continue and suffocate. Due to it being the day before the Sabbath began that evening, the Jews asked if the three, the two prisoners on each side of Jesus and Jesus being crucified, would have their legs broken so that they would speed up the process. Having their legs broken would take away the ability to press up for air and they'd suffocate within minutes. However, when the guards went to break Jesus's legs after the two other prisoners, they found him dead already, thus not having to break his legs as prophesied in the Old Testament. But just to be sure, the guard took a spear and pierced his side. Being that Jesus was up high, the spear would have gone under the ribcage into the heart. Thus, if he wasn't dead, he most certainly would have been dead then. So why did I just give you a detailed account of Jesus' death? To show you that there's no possible way Jesus could have survived that. Thus debunking that he just pretended to be dead myth, as some people believe. Non-Christians and Christian historians alike agree on the fact that Jesus died that day on the cross. So, here are the facts. Jesus was a real person, and he died. But... Did he resurrect? This is the deciding point on if Jesus was in fact the Son of God, sent to take away the barrier between us and God. Resurrection after a gruesome death like that, in all rationality, is impossible. Unless you're God. Because he created all and transcends our earthly space and time. But that's a whole different topic altogether. So, did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? Here's the evidence. Jesus died and was buried in a tomb of a well-known Jewish man, Joseph of Arimathea. Because it was the day before Sabbath and they couldn't work or touch the dead on a Sabbath, these tombs were not graves underneath the ground. They were big cut stones with a stone too heavy to move once they sealed it shut because it was on a incline. So, once they pushed that big boulder down that incline, it was shut. Not only that, but they sealed it. On the third day when Jesus rose from the dead, the tomb was rolled away and there was no body. Who would want to steal this body? The Jews and the disciples? The disciples, however, were distraught after Jesus died and one would not desecrate a loved one's grave and did not have the body thus lead us to believe that it's possibly the Jews. The Jewish leaders could not produce a body, so they made up a story that the disciples took his body. The fact that they couldn't produce a body in itself from their own grave proves that there wasn't a body there at all. So where did it go? The Jews blamed the disciples, so let's go back to that. The disciples mourned for Jesus, but on the third day, they are telling people that they saw and ate a meal with Jesus that he rose from the dead and he really is God? Well, that is definitely not what I would have done three days after someone extremely close to me died, let alone have the hope of an everlasting life to go out and just lie. Could it be denial? Maybe. 
But is tough to deny a death that gruesome? But if you still hold on to the denial, let's move towards to the deaths of the disciples themselves. So majority of the disciples themselves were crucified or murdered in some way for spreading the news of Jesus' resurrection. My guess, given multiple chances to relent that belief with the threat of death, then ultimately being martyred for Jesus Christ. If it was a lie, they would have known that it wasn't true and would have denied it. But because they were 100% certain based on the real Jesus that they saw and felt, the confidence of it being true caused them to stand up for Jesus even at death. Along with 500 accounts of the people seeing Jesus in the flesh at the same time, and the miracles the disciples performed in Jesus' name after that, the evidence is overwhelming. And it's like this because Jesus and God want us to be as confident as the disciples were. So we may stand in our faith with God with confidence. Because you cannot have faith without knowing and trusting the maker 100%. And knowing means rational thinking and coming to your own conclusion based on the evidence that God provides. You cannot have faith without a foundation in truth. We're not meant to just live our life blindly. God wants us to understand and make that conscious decision ourselves. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.